Welcome to the Rubin Report. I'm Dave Rubin. And before I do anything else, make sure that you're still subscribed to our channel and be sure to click the solid bell so that you actually get notified when we post new videos. All right. Now that that's out of the way, joining me on the Rubin Report today is a futurist, a geopolitical expert, and author of several books, including Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering, and the Future of Humanity, Jamie Metzl. Welcome to the Rubin Report. Thrilled to be here, Dave. I am glad to have you here, sir, because I watched you on Joe Rogan, and mm -hmm. I was like, I've got to talk to this guy about all of this crazy futuristic stuff. It's crazy. Our world is changing, and it's going to change whether we like it or not, and better for people to understand what's happening and be part of the process of change rather than just sit back and, and let it happen to us. All right. So I'm pretty sure we're going to have a dense hour of yes. exactly that. But before we get into the new book and, and really the, the meat of all of this, uh, how does one become a futurist? You know, it's a, it's a, a funny question. Right? It's like there's a funny answer. So. For my whole life, I've really been thinking about, well, what's, what's coming next? When I was in law school, uh, there were a group of us who were, this, uh, who were thinking about what is the information technology revolution going to mean? And this is the very early day, days of, of the internet, then the World Wide Web. Um, and we were thinking, we were writing about it. Um, and so I have a lot of articles from those early days that were imagining the world that we exist in. Uh, then, more than 20 years ago, I started thinking and writing a lot about the genetics uh, revolution. I never called myself a futurist. I was just a guy who was thinking about the future. And I was going around, I do a lot of speaking at, at various events, and there are all these people who were calling themselves futurists. And I thought, well, huh, that's kind of interesting. How did they become futurists? So like, I'm writing, I write about the future, I talk about the future. Right, I assume they were wearing like sort of silver monochrome exactly, outfits. Exactly, yeah, like in yeah. the Devo hat. Um, <laughs> And so one day I thought, you know, maybe I'm a futurist. And so I was being introduced, and it was some, when you're speaking, they say, hey, will you give us a short blurb about, uh, about yourself? And I put, Jamie Metzl is a leading futurist. And then somebody gave this little card like that and said, Jamie Metzl is a leading futurist. And I became a leading <laughs> futurist. I, I declared myself leading. I hope I can, I can live. So it's, it's like one of these things where like, I come from a family of doctors. Like there's a day when you become a doctor. You kind of walk there, they give you the, the thing, you shake your hands, you take a picture. These are kind of self-declared titles. And so for me, I hope that every day I am being judged by the things that I'm writing and the things that I'm saying are right, this guy says he's a futurist. Other people are saying that he's a futurist, even though they're reading words that he himself has written. Is right. he saying things that make sense? Is he inspiring us to think differently about the future? I guess we'll find out in about 55 minutes exactly. from now. So exactly. let's go back a little bit further, though, yeah. uh, to sort of where that sparked within you, because my audience knows I'm a huge sci-fi guy. Yeah. There are so many of the things that I think about and I think believe to some extent that I've learned through stories yeah. of science fiction. Um, as a sci-fi writer yeah. and as someone that is a futurist, right. or at least on your business card, yeah, exactly. um, what were some of the stories that uh, excited you when you were a kid? So it was just all of these stories. I mean, the, these stories of exploring space, exploring humans. I mean, we are, because of the way our brains function, we learn through stories. I mean, that's been probably the greatest mechanism for the success of our species is our ability to transfer information to each other. And we do it through the, this medium of stories. So just from when I was a little kid, I was a voracious reader. I read uh, you know, all the things that, that, right, that normal kids read. I loved Narnia. I, I, really, I didn't yeah. realize it was a whole Christian thing until it was <laughs> much, uh, much later. But I just, I just read everything and I've always gravitated to, to the world of stories. And even in the, the, I have a big part of my life that's nonfiction, even in the national security world, even then it's about, it's about stories. Because what is, what is the Cold War? What is anything? It's, it's a story that we tell ourselves and then we organize around those stories. This episode of the Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American regardless if they're a private citizen or a professional. 
Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it is their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable, life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com, where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about Bravo Company Manufacturing and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash Bravo Company USA. Support for the Rubin Report comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home is so much more than a house, it's your own little slice of heaven. That's why when you find the perfect place for you and your family, getting a mortgage shouldn't get in the way. Imagine how it feels to have an award-winning team by your side through every step of the mortgage process. It's awesome, and it's exactly what you get with Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Their team of mortgage experts is obsessed with finding a better way, which means that their number one goal is to make the home buying process smoother for you. Quicken Loans has helped millions of Americans achieve their dream of home ownership, and when you're ready to purchase the home of your dreams, they can help you too. Their team cares about getting you home. That's why J.D. Power is ranked Quicken Loans, highest in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination nine years in a row and highest in mortgage servicing five years in a row. When you work with them, you get more than just a loan because Rocket Mortgage is more than just a lender. Get started online at rocketmortgage.com slash Rubin, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Push button, get mortgage, and now back to the show. Yeah, I'm always fascinated when people watch, see something, or listen to something that like just blows their mind and, and just yeah. puts them on a different track. And one of the things for me, 1997, I ate some yeah. pop brownies and yeah. I was going to see Air Force One mm -hmm. with a bunch of friends, but it yeah. was sold out. Yeah. So we ended up walking to, into a movie called Contact, which mm. none of us had ever heard of. We had no yeah. idea what we were walking into. And I'm sure you've seen the movie Contact mm -hmm. and it was written of course by Carl Sagan. Right. And that opening scene, the panorama of the universe. And maybe right. it was the pop brownies and I was just right time yeah. of life. I was <laughs> exactly. 21, but my mind was blown. And from there yeah. I, I read almost all I think of Carl Sagan's books and right. it just opened my mind to that sort of thing. And that's sort of yeah. what you need in the world. But that's what you need. It's, you know, from a cosmic perspective, we are so small. I mean, there are so many solar systems and so many stars and so many galaxies just if you, if you try to think from the perspective of the whole and then you think we're just this one little tiny planet pale blue dot. exactly yeah. revolving around one star one sun and but but from each of our perspectives we are the the center of our own universe and there's this thing is if you if you just were totally just seeing yourself from this cosmic perspective you would lose your your identity but if we get so caught up in our own little thing and we're not able to see ourselves in this greater context, that also, I think, can be dangerous, or at least it, it can make us less than we otherwise could be. And that's, that's the role of stories. I mean, stories help, help situate ourselves within ourselves, uh, within our, our communities, and within our world, and our world broadly defined. Which part of what you do between talking about geopolitics yeah. and dealing with the future stuff and you know writing sci-fi and all these things which one sort of excites you the most or is it just you know, it's, all... it's all of a piece you know so so definitely my big passion in life is to translate big scary sometimes complex ideas into language that can be shared and so when i write novels i mean that's the whole point of my of my novels is to have people enter into a world, and that's what novelists do. 
But in the world, what I'd like is people enter in, into a world and maybe think a little bit differently about themselves, about what it means to be a human, about how we're interacting with our technology now with with hacking Darwin, I'm, I'm doing the same thing, is that, that there is this, all of this incredible complexity of the genetics revolution, and there's like really hard science that not everybody is able to, to dig into. But what I wanna do is to take all of that and present it to people in ways that they can see themselves in the story. And once we see ourselves in a story, then we can be part of it. We can feel empowered to have conversations, to have opinions because I think that's this this crazy thing of this moment is that radical technology with whether it's AI or genetics or nanotechnology quantum computing I mean they're going to change our lives in deep and fundamental ways but people are scared of the science and so there's this in some ways it's like a, a helplessness that mm -hmm. these trends are coming and they're bigger people feel that they're bigger than they are and my message is is not just that that's not the case, and that's a failure of the scientists. I mean, the scientists need to be translating the science so to bring other, other people along. But science isn't its own thing. It doesn't exist in some kind of imaginary, objective realm. Science exists within the context of our societies. And if we don't recognize that dynamic interaction, which means that everybody has a role to play, then we are going to have really warped outcomes that are going to be bad for society, and they're also going to be bad for science. All right, so then let's jump into some yeah. of those big, yeah. scary ideas, yeah. and let, let's just sort of do 101 on sure. a couple things, because yeah. I think that's really what sure. you're trying to do here in a lot yeah. of ways, is just take a wider group of people and get them to understand yes. some of this stuff so it isn't so, yeah. so big and scary. Yes. So yeah, yeah. Uh, let's just talk about the world of genetics yeah. in general right now. Yeah. So when someone says genetics, for the person that has no idea what we're talking about, great. what and, are you talking about? And that person is my ideal audience. And I think and that's, I that's most it. people, and yes. they're sort oh of afraid God. to admit it. They people hear like, things. Yes. They, and yeah. you know, frankly, that was why I loved my my interview with Joe Rogan. That's I, yeah. Actually, I think that's why Joe Rogan is is so successful in addition to being a great guy. Because he just, he's just very confident as a person, but he's just asking common sense questions yeah. that the average person probably would want to ask. But when, they're, when the average person, quote unquote average person, whoever that is, is faced with someone who's a quote unquote expert, even a self-declared futurist like me, they're kind of afraid of asking just some basic questions. They, well, what if, what if it's a bad question? Mm -hmm. and we, we all have that kind of, uh, of insecurity. So um, genetics. So everybody, uh, everybody I think understands um, that genes, um, ev that uh, genes are part of the, uh, the blueprint for life. And so to put it on a human uh, level, uh, your mother has an egg, your father has a sperm. When that sperm fertilizes the egg, you have a fertilized egg. It's a, a, the, the, the early stage embryo, it's one cell, an egg and a sperm that come together. And in that cell, um, there is a blueprint for what everything that you will become. And so that blueprint is written in a code and that code is your genome, and your genome is made up of genes. So it's the blueprint for life. Let me, let me pause you there for a second. Yes. So would you say at that moment then, once that coding is there, is that the beginning of what you would say is life? I mean, this is, this right. is of course where yes. ethicists and geneticists yes. and so, scientists and religious right. people have to debate all these yes. things. Yes, yeah, so, so it's a, this is a, there's a, a, a political question which makes it very difficult for us to, to um, it's very difficult to think about that question and just say, well, there's a scientific question and there's a political question. Mm -hmm. Because the whole thing is life. Like, is an egg cell alive? Yes. Are our cells alive? Yes. Is sperm alive? Yes. Um, but it's not on their own. They're not able to replicate, which mm -hmm. is one of the hallmarks of life. And so you could say that that is the kernel of life because life exists on a continuum. It's one microscopic cell, um, but that cell, if it grows in the, the, the quote-unquote normal way, it will, it will become life. So I think that, like, I would never say um, that the people who believe that life begins at conception are wrong. I mean, I think that it's because it's a judgment call, it's all on a continuum, I think that, that we can't say that. But what I would say um, is that there's a difference between a single fertilized egg, mm -hmm. maybe it's a single fertilized egg in a woman, 
or maybe it's in a lab. Like there's a we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and there's a difference between that and like a baby who's actually born and a, a 20-year-old person. I mean, there's there, there all the politics of that, but it's certainly there's no doubt that a single fertilized egg is the beginning of, of life. Okay, so we now live in a time when we can start manipulating these genes. Right. Talk to me about that. Crazy so, stuff. Th- th- no, that's the crazy moment yeah. that we are in now. So yeah. we have evolved um, for about 3.8 billion years. Um, so life, most scientists believe, uh, began um, from these thermal vents in the bottom of the ocean, this first spark of life. And so uh, all of life on Earth is related. It comes from that same spark of life. And all of life, ourselves, plants, everything else, ha- uses the same building blocks because we have that same, uh, that same origin. And for, for almost four billion years, we've evolved by the Darwinian principles of random mutation. Random mutation means just we're, we're all different. And, and that's really important because if, from whether we're sing, when we were single cell organisms or anything, if everybody is the same, it may be good now, but if the environment changes mm-hmm. uh, and you're still the same, then you're going to die. And so this kind of diversity is really, um, is really important. So it's random mutation and natural selection. Natural selection just means we are in these competitive environments and some formulations do better than others. I mean, they're like a million podcasts. Yours does a lot better yeah. than, than others. And it's, that is a form of natural selection. That There's a marketplace and, and a certain set of attributes. And if the world changes, like you know, maybe that you know, we have no more electricity and it's like, or maybe we get, we, there's no voice and the people doing pantomime, those are the best podcasters because right, no one right. can hear anything. So that's basically yeah. just the, that, that's, I, the nature of reality, that's sort the of, that of as things yes. change, we modify yes. along yeah, the yeah. road yes. to survive. So the core principle is 3.8 billion years driven by random mutation and natural selection. Uh, and now we are recognizing for the first time, one, that all of biology, uh, based on genetics, is a form of information technology. And like our traditional IT, it is increasingly readable, and that's what genome sequencing is, and writable and hackable. And hackable meaning that we now have these tools to edit the genome, kind of like uh, word processing. We can eliminate genes, we can add genes, um, and so we are able to hack life. And so we are beginning after four billion years, this phase of our lives and our evolution, where we, this one little group of essentially monkeys that climb down from the trees in Africa, that we, are, we have the tools to recreate all of life on Earth. And it's this awesome power. And to quote Spider-Man, it comes <laughs> with a tremendous responsibility. Technically, that was Uncle Ben. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> I do, I do, right. No, I do it important. myself all the time. That um, is important. Okay, so, so, so we have this idea now that we can edit the genome. We, right. we can read it. We can edit it and yeah. all of those things. So before I get to the sci-fi part of my brain, which is right. where all the scary stuff comes yeah, in, yeah. What, what are some of the good things that we can be doing? I'm, I'm doing so this? glad you asked yeah. that because I, you know, I speak about this stuff all the time. And I could speak for an hour, 58 minutes, say, like, here are all these miraculous things. It's so exciting. <laughs> but, and then for the last two minutes, like, there's just like, some potential downsides we need to be mindful of. And right. then it's like at the end, people say, like, oh, my God, I'm so depressed. We're all going to die. Right. So we should be incredibly excited about this revolution because it's going to help us a ton. So the first, the the most immediate impact is going to be how it changes our experience of healthcare. Right now we live in a world of generalized healthcare based on population averages. So you go to a doctor and you get treated based on being a human. If you have a headache, maybe you get a Tylenol. But you find out if you're one of the people who dies from Tylenol by taking a Tylenol because it's, everything is based on, on the odds of most people will respond to a certain treatment. And it's the same, true, the same is true for about 88% of cancer treatments. We're now moving uh, to a world of precision medicine. And so precision medicine means that you're treated not just b- based on your being a human, 
based on your being you. So any intervention is going to be based on your individual biology. So they literally are gonna be able to look at your, your genome, is that the right word? Well, the, so there's the genome, so yeah. there'll, be, there'll be a set of information. So it'll be your personal history, your family history, your biometric information, um, other measurements, and your, your, your genetic information, but your genetic information will be the most significant foundation of your electronic health record, and that information will be provided mostly at birth, um, so we're all going to be um, sequenced. At just, just like when, you get a, when a kid is born, they do a, a blood test with a heel prick. Mm -hmm. um, everybody in the not distant future will have their whole, whole genome sequence, and that'll just be part of their electronic health record. And so the exciting thing is, one, everyone's going to get these, this personalized medicine, and it, it will be better medicine because it'll be tailored for all of our biology. But even more significant, we're going to have billions of people whose genetic and life information are in these massive um, data sets. And then we're going to be able to use big data analytics to increasingly unlock the secrets of genetic and, uh, information and systems biology, meaning that we have systems of systems inside of our, uh, of our biology. And what that is going to mean is we're going to have a lot of information, not just about why you may be sick now, but about how your life is likely to play out. From the moment of birth, you're going to know that I have a greater than average risk of this genetic disease, for example. And that's going to be very actionable because if you're a woman and you know uh, that you have, a, let's say, a 70% greater than average chance of, of getting breast cancer, you're going to want to start your screenings much earlier than somebody who doesn't have that predisposition. But we're also going to have a lot of information that is not deterministic, but is probabilistically predictable about certain things that have nothing to do with health, like IQ, the genetic component of IQ, personality style, uh, maybe that we have a great potential to be a, a fantastic sprinter or mathematician. And we're going to have to think very, very differently about parenting and about life. And, and a lot of this stuff can be scary, but it's, yeah, pretty, what? it's, it's also exciting. Like imagine, you know, right now we have these terrible refugee camps all over the world. But we have Einsteins in every one of those camps. Mm -hmm. And we just don't know who they are. We, we, in, in, in Los Angeles, where we are now, I mean, there are these inner cities and the, the crime of inner cities. I mean, there's all kinds of problems. But it's just like we're throwing human potential down the toilet. So people are worried about, be, about genetic profiling, and they should be worried. But what about all these people who we're throwing away? If we knew that, that some kid who's like growing up in terrible conditions like has this incredible potential, and who knows whether any potential will be realized, but to be like a genius musician or mathematician, we, we would at least think twice about not providing resources to help people realize their potential. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet too. You could get arrested and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking designate a sober driver or call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Ever wonder where your family comes from or what your ancestors did for a living? You can discover more about them and learn more about your story by combining the Ancestry DNA test with billions of historical family records. I did it and I learned that my great-great-grandfather, Jacob Lippmann, was a shoe salesman who came to New York from Eastern Europe back in 1891. Ancestry DNA even found an old newspaper clipping from 1930 about a fire at the family home. Ancestry DNA gives you so much more than just the 
places you're from. Ancestry connects you to the places in the world where your story started using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. You can even trace your ancestors' journey over time following how and why your family moved from place to place. Only Ancestry can tell such a rich story and give you a more complete picture of the people from your past. For a limited time, now through August 26, go to Ancestry.com slash Ruben for an exclusive Ancestry DNA kit for $59. That's Ancestry.com slash Ruben for only $59. Ancestry.com slash Ruben. And now back to the show. It's so interesting because as you're saying all this, and I can think of all of the roads that we yeah. can do good things that yeah. you just laid out there, and then there's this other part of me, and maybe that yeah. just is the yeah. the sci-fi dystopian part where you think yeah. of all the ways that there could be evil manipulation yes. and population control and eugenics and all of, all of these things that seem wrong or just in yeah. the wrong hands could could go you know just completely haywire. But so do you do you view that sort of choice? Yes, yeah, so uh, do you do you view that as different than with any other technology now, or is this sort of unique? It's, it's not different in that every technology has their utopian and dystopian potential uses. What's unique here is that this technology is so powerful and it's coming at us so quickly that we don't have the same time that we've had to figure it out, like with steam, I mean, steam and electricity, uh, and and even you know, the, using gasoline, I mean, all these things, they were revolutionary. But we had a little bit of time to transition. And this is the problem yeah. is that the science is moving so quickly um, that, that the transitions like can't happen in the kind of methodical ways and as disruptive as they've been in the past, but it, that, will, that will be much more methodical than what's coming. And that's why we're, there's a race. And, and so every one of these technologies Every good outcome has a parallel story that's a bad outcome. And mm -hmm. so for me, I, I tend to be all in all net, net optimistic. Um, but the, the technology itself is agnostic. And what's at play now is the question of what are the values that we are going to use to guide this technology. And I think that's, that's the game. And that's what I'm trying to bring people into the conversation to say that if you are worried about a potential dystopian outcome, how can we fight together to make sure that that doesn't happen? How can we bring people into the conversation to say, all right, well, here's what I want to see. I want to have these technologies used in ways that are making our communities stronger, that are enhancing human uh, potential in, 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 in positive ways. But to do it, we all need to have a voice. And to have a voice, we need to be educated. Are there people that just focus on the speed portion of this? Because for some yeah. reason, that really fascinates me like this yeah. whole thing does but something this idea that people all over the globe now because of the internet and all right. the other ways we're connected can all be working on these things all at the same yeah. time all be you know sort of jumping in front of each other in faster yeah. and faster ways and for all we know there's all sorts of technologies happening in, in China now that we have no idea about and I want to relate this yeah. also sure. yeah. of course to the geopolitical part which is some countries are going to have more restrictions right. on these technologies yeah. and some won't and yeah. all of these things um, so the speed part to me is just really fascinating. It's, it's, it's an essential piece of the story. Um, just think about this, that you know, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, there were the same distribution of geniuses that we have now. But if you're a genius 500 years ago, somewhere in Africa or somewhere in Asia, you're kind of on your own. Right. You know, Ramanujan, this kind of genius mathematician in India, he had like one book. I mean, yeah. he, he, from that one book, he kind of figured out this, this incredible system of, of, of math. But now, if you're a, a genius, most anywhere in, in the world, like you have access to the global library. You don't have to, in the, the Bronze Age, the Copper Age, we had all these people all around the world who are having the same discoveries, mm -hmm. basically over in the same pattern, without being connected to each other at all. It was kind of a waste of energy. If one mm -hmm. said, hey, copper, got it. So right, I'm, right. Just, I'm just sending out the email. Right, right, so and, Thomas Edison yeah. figures something out and some guy halfway across yeah. the world doesn't realize, oh, you know, three exactly. months ago that was the But what a waste of energy. So yeah. now you don't, nobody, we're all interconnected. So everybody, you don't, you don't start at the bottom of the mountain. You start kind of two thirds of the way up the mountain. And you don't have to take a step that has been taken by somebody else. You don't have to solve a problem that has been taken, uh, that has been solved by somebody else. And so with 
Beta branch, everybody in the world increasingly being brought into this process. We are unleashing this imaginative, creative tidal wave that I just think that people don't appreciate the significance of that. And that's why you know, in, in this field of, of biotech and, and genetics, pretty much every day there's another paper that comes out that nobody notices. But if this same paper had come out 10 years ago, every one of these, world changer. Everyone would have gotten the Nobel Prize. Right. There's, there's like there's a Nobel Prize every like every single Nobel Prize worthy discovery in the context of 10 years ago every single day. Right. So okay, so I think most people understand the part that if we can if we can map your genetics that then we can watch out and right. know that you shouldn't take this medicine or you should stay away from right. this food or that sort of thing. Right. So it's sort of a blueprint for sort of how you can live and how right. you can flourish yeah. most maximally. Yeah. And um, yeah. to identify, so right now when you have a, a disease, you have a symptom and you go to the doctor and then the doctor tries to treat that symptom. But maybe this is a symptom, something that's been germinating in you for a decade. Maybe it's something that results from a genetic abnormality that you had since the moment when you were that, that single cell, that, that fertilized egg. And so it's going to change our model of healthcare mm -hmm. that from treatment of symptoms to prevention. So I think that's, and that's, so doing all of those things, but in a way that's personalized for you, because I'm gonna know I have a risk of this certain outcome. I don't want that outcome to happen. And so here are the things that I'm going to do from the beginning. So that then gets us to the editing portion yes. of this, right? right? So, okay, so now we know that you're predisposed to X, Y, and Z. Now we can start editing things, right? To make sure that you're not going to get certain diseases. Yeah. So um, what you're talking about is editing that happens after you're born. Mm -hmm. And so there's a big distinction between these two kinds of editing. There's germline editing, which I know we'll talk about, which is um, editing to sex cells. And mm -hmm. so that's pr primarily embryos, but also it works on sperm and eggs. And the reason why it's called germline is it, that's when you edit the sex cells, the sperm cells, um, uh, the, the sperm, eggs, or embryo, then that gets passed on to future generations. But if I edit you or an adult not in the sex cells, then that's just for that person over the course of their life. And that's why it's less controversial. It's controversial, but it's less controversial. So there's a whole class of interventions called gene therapies um, that are used to do exactly that. And, and right now, for example, cancer is probably the best, uh, the best example. So there are a lot of people who have cancer. We have these natural antibodies um, that fight cancers. Um, but sometimes people, their, their antibodies aren't working well enough, and sometimes they have a cancer that just is, is overpowering their antibodies. So there's a treatment called CAR-T therapy, where you take out somebody's blood cells and you genetically engineer them to give, to boost their natural cancer-fighting superpowers. Mm -hmm. Then you put those cells back into the person's body and that person becomes a genetic superhero. So this is sort of like platelet-rich therapy, right? That, well, yeah, that so, people so, use, yeah, they so, take so their PRP, own blood out. Yes, yeah. I mean, PRP is, is, a, is a much narrower, much less systemic uh, intervention. Um, so, so yes, um, but this is that kind of, quote-unquote, on steroids. steroids yeah. yeah, and so, um, so we are going to be, and, and so there's a delivery issue. When the delivery is happening through blood, that makes it a little bit, uh, a little bit easier. Um, but then we have all kinds of what are called specialized cells. So you stop... Um, when, you, when, you st when you're that single cell organism um, or single cell pre-implanted embryo, um, you, e you can have the potential to become everything, but your cells differentiate over time and that's why you can have skin cells and liver cells and, and heart cells. And so when we're doing these kinds of interventions um, for gene therapies, um, we're wanting to edit a specific kind of cell, well, let's call it a heart cell or something like that. And so there need to be delivery mechanisms to do it. And so when it's blood, you can easily take it out and put it back. But now there's a, this whole other area of research of using basically retrofitted viruses, because viruses uh, for billions of years have developed a machinery to kind of infiltrate our bodies and, and replicate. So we take advantage of that to deliver certain kinds of gene edits um, to specific parts of the body to treat specific types of problems. And that's not 
that's not fully ready for prime time uh, with humans. There are some very early clinical trials. A huge amount of work, though, is, is happening in this area. I don't know if this is exactly the yeah. right point to mention this. So where does CRISPR fall into all so, of right, this? So CRISPR um, is the, 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 among the best forms of gene editing. So if you have the genome and you're making the changes to the genome, there needs to be a mechanism for doing that. And so uh, there have been prior tools for gene editing that were much slower uh, and more expensive than this tool of CRISPR. And it's called CRISPR-Cas9 is the most prominent, but there are many. So um, basically there are these repeating patterns in the genome. And with the CRISPR systems, um, they can identify, use a guide RNA to find a specific place on the genome. And then with the Cas9, it's a cutting enzyme. So you think that it's the double helix. Mm -hmm. You go to a place and then you have this little knife, molecular scissors, and you cut out what you don't want. And then this, the, the, the genome will either reconnect with that missing piece gone, or you can in, in, uh, introduce an additional piece of DNA designed to fit in that little space, and they'll be, it'll be like, oh, we're missing a piece of this bridge. Oh, here it is, and the, the cell will just naturally put it there. So I sense we're yes. getting into one of those places where the average person is suddenly going, whoa, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it a little bit All here. Right, so so, so, yeah. so to, to unwind this a little yeah. bit, though, because I, yeah, I think we've got the right pieces here, yeah. that doing all of that then would allow people to be again, inoculated from certain diseases, yeah. to be able to maximize health, and also for generations then after yes. to be able to yeah. so let not me, have to deal with these things, Let correct? me make it very yeah. real and, and concrete. Um, so I'm a member of the World Health Organization, has a, an international advisory committee on human genome editing, which um, we were created at the end of last year, uh, 2018, after a Chinese scientist announced in November that the world's first gene-edited babies had been secretly born in China in October 2018. So these, these tools of using these CRISPR system to change, basically they edited these pre-implanted embryos of these two little girls. Mm -hmm. And what they did um, was went in and they basically disrupted um, this one gene, which is called CCR5. No one needs to remember CCR5, but just the genes just all, all have different, uh, different names. Um, and what the CCR5 gene, when it's disrupted, people have disrupted copies of CCR5, mostly Northern Europeans, have an increased resistance to HIV because the HIV virus can't penetrate into, this, into the cell. And so this was way, be, way before people thought, and myself included, thought it was safe. It felt like human experimentation. Mm -hmm. But these kids were, were born, and so the world's first gene-edited babies are born. And people go straight from that, and it's a huge deal. I think it was highly unethical of this guy to do. And then they, they say, all right, well, then the next step in people's mind is, it's like the, you know, you know the Build-A-Bear workshop? It's like, right. it's like, oh, I'll take one of these, one of these, one of these. And it, it's not going to be that. Biology is too complex for that. But we are increasingly going to have the capacity. And it's still, it's a very, very early days. But it's going to be more and more and more to begin making a small number of gene edits to potential future humans. And that's a really big deal. So what was the ethical conundrum there? Just because this is yeah. still too untested? Yeah, so, so a few things. One, it was just way premature. I mean, it's, a lot of people are doing experiments on animals like mice. Mm -hmm. But to do these experiments on real live humans, I mean, we know what, I mean, that, that to me, it feel like we have the Nuremberg conventions about what is and, and is not okay, and this felt experimental. Yeah. Do, so, and we know for a fact that this has been done, it's, it, this has been verified in other places, or you know, could this possibly just be a situation where? I, you know, I, uh, if there's a 1% chance okay. that this is a fraud. Okay. There, in my view, there's a 99% chance that it is not a fraud, and I know a lot of people um, and I work with people who know this, uh, know this guy, uh, Ho Jong Kui is his name. So I think it's, it, I, I'm entirely convinced that it's, uh, okay. that it's real. But it was unethical because it was premature, because it was totally untransparent, because the work was sloppy, because the parents um, didn't give their proper uh, uh, consent, um, and because the target 
was a, a wrong one in the sense that um, these kids, the father had HIV, the mother didn't. But the kids would not have been born with HIV had this not happened. So he, was not, he wasn't treating something that they had. He was trying to give them an enhancement. Wait, how do we know that they wouldn't have been born with HIV? Is that just because, not how it transmits? I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm so, so, not sure. so we have all kinds of, of, of technologies like washing sperm that make it so that if you are a, a, a man with HIV in the United States and you want to have a baby with a woman who doesn't have HIV, it's, it, there are lots and lots of ways that you, okay, you, will, gotcha. you, you, you will have a baby if you, if you get proper care that doesn't have HIV. So it's not like these kids were going to have HIV, they weren't. Um, and so one is, although there's not a clear line between therapy and enhancement, this was clearly an, an enhancement. And my thought is we will be enhancing ourselves in the future and, and probably in the future we should be enhancing because we, it's just like we're, a, we, we're, we're buggy. Mm -hmm. that We've evolved over billions of years. Evolution has made all kinds of trade-offs and sometimes those trade-offs are bad for us individually. And so it's terrible when people die young of terrible genetic diseases. It's terrible when old people get dementia and lose their minds. I don't want that. If we can make little tweaks um, that we've figured out, I'd say like all power to us. Like wh why not? That's the history of our, of our species. We need to be careful. But for here, for the first step on using this incredibly powerful technology on a human, it would have been more responsible if we had done it five years from now in a very responsible, very transparent way addressing a target where there would have been a kid would have otherwise been born with a deadly genetic disease. And then we would have had, like in the beginning, you said, let's talk about the good stuff and then right. let's talk about the scary stuff. It's better to start with the good stuff because people are primed to be terrified. And so I, it just would have been so much better had we done it that way. Well, that's why I'm so fascinated with the speed part of this yeah. because it's sort of like, well, somewhere, maybe in China, but somewhere there's going to be an island of Dr. Moreau sort yeah. of thing where just some scientist who doesn't, you know, who just wants to do whatever he can with yeah. and, you know, let the consequences be damned, will go ahead and do it. And it won't, you know, for years that could exist and no one will know. And then, yeah. you know, the more responsible scientists will constantly be playing catch up. And then that also sort of brings me to the law part yeah. of this. Um, because we are starting sort of to discuss laws around this here a little barely, bit. Barely, barely. barely. Yeah. I mean, I remember when George W. Bush was sort of talking right. about some of this uh, related to stem cells, stem cells and that sort of right, thing. Yeah. Um, but how much of this do you think will come down to just what countries will sort of allow it more yeah. versus what scientists are just going to do what they want yeah. to do. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's an, an essential question, and that's the race because the science is moving forward exponentially. You're exactly right. It was not a surprise that the, the first, and I write about this in the book, uh, that the first application of using uh, CRISPR gene editing on humans happened in China. I, I'd always said that's where it's going to happen. It's not a surprise that now it's in Russia, that there's a, a, a biologist there uh, who's saying he has five people lined up to have more uh, genetically engineered babies. And this happens, all of this technology exists within the context of our societies. And so there are some societies that are be better regulated in these areas. I always hold up the United Kingdom as kind of the gold standard. They have a national healthcare system, which makes it much more e uh, much easier to just spread rationality in the system where we, in the US, we have this kind of this chaotic system of, um, system of, uh, of, of systems. Is the part of the problem, and my audience knows yeah, I'm not sure. a big reg regulation guy, so it's yeah. part of the problem though that even if you have regulation, well done, well-intentioned, right. all that, that in a way that will slow down certain advancements where then the, the bad guys, let's it, say, or the, or the yeah. kooky scientists no. who, who don't have those ethical dilemmas yes. will just keep making jumps in a faster, you know, faster true, way. It's yeah. true, but um, we don't, it's not like regulation is good or bad. Mm -hmm. We need the right amount of regulation to incentivize the outcomes that we want, and especially in an area like this where we're talking about the future of human life, um, that you, you talked about where does life begin at conception, which is a, a very legitimate issue. A lot of people feel emotional about it. And the people who are saying life begins at conception, they're not saying life begins at conception, but let's have no regulations and life begins at conception for me. They're saying, well, we need to have a regulatory system by law so to determine what people can and can't do. 
And I may disagree with, <coughs> with some of the, of the goals that they're setting, but mm -hmm. I think we're all agreeing that this needs to be, this is life and it has to be regulated. And we don't want scientists out there just experimenting on humans, which is what happened in, in China. Right. And well, so that's what so I'm saying. I'm yeah. with you on that, but yeah. th that we can't regulate all countries. So, we, so, 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 so for ourselves, yeah. what we need to do, like if any society decides that oh, we're just going to opt out of this, of this technology, like opting out of the genetics revolution is opting out of national competitiveness in the 21st century. Like if you do it, you can do it, but you are just going to be like you're not going to have a competitive economy because this is the future. It's, it, it's you're going to be economy. like when we find those random tribes somewhere. Yeah, in, which is great, yeah. and, they, and they're probably happier than we yeah. are. <laughs> you know, they're, getting more, they're working out, they're getting yeah. more steps a day. That's a whole other yeah, yeah. topic. Yeah. So, um, so what we need to do is we need to find the, that balance um, within our within our societies, and it's a, it's good to have that balance because like with the United Kingdom, they're very well regulated. They have cutting edge science. But the public is on board with the science. And mm -hmm. so we, the United States, we have incredible science. We have the best basic science in the world. But there's this total mismatch between the science that's racing forward and the general public, which is kind of afraid and, and is, is cautious. That's why we're doing this, Exactly. Man. No, I yeah. know. And so we need to find a way of bringing those people together. I mean, I'm going to do an interview on Newt Gingrich's radio show. And I, I'm so committed to engaging with religious communities, evangelical communities, conservative uh, communities, because it's like, wouldn't it be terrible to say, oh, like, oh no, this is my truth, that's your truth. We can't even talk to each other. That's the, the foundation mm -hmm. of, of society. But you're absolutely right. There are some places that are going to be, that already are, less regulated or maybe well-regulated based on a different set of values. You can imagine a place like North Korea, mm -hmm. that say, we want to, we the leaders want to, we want to stay in power forever. And so we'd like to engineer certain outcomes that will have a, a Plato's Republic model or mm -hmm. have the leaders and then we'll have the followers and, and we'll select their embryos or maybe even do some basic gene editing to determine certain outcomes. And so there's a race and there's a race between societies, but there's also a race to see can we build some kind of normative global system that can at least bring us all together with a process. And there's a lot of examples of failure, but there's, a, there's some examples, whether it's nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, biological weapons, even climate change, where we've not succeeded, but we've done certainly better than worse. And the entire, we talked about telling stories. I mean, international law is a story. The concept of human rights is a story. And we've sold those stories pretty well, and that's what we need to do. And then that's why we need to work on the individual level. Everyone needs to be educated. Um, on the national level, we need smart laws, and we need political leaders who are engaged on this issue, which is, is hardly the case now. <laughs> and on an international system where we need to move towards having processes that can bring us together and over time develop nor norms and regulations and laws. Okay, so we sort of understand the inequity, let's say, between right. the way certain nations are going to deal with this and the way certain individual scientists are right. going to deal with this. Um, let's jump into that religious portion yeah. of it for a moment. So I'm glad you're going to go talk to New Cambridge. Yeah. I've got him coming on in the fall. Oh, good. And Excellent. he's, a, look, it's interesting to talk to a Republican who I think, you know, basically, I think, has a pretty decent understanding of yeah. science, yeah. Uh, but comes from a religious yeah. perspective as well. Okay, that's fine. It's a more than um, It's essential. Like, yeah. what are we going to do, not talk to each other? So... Yeah. So when you talk to, yeah. to Newt, or even or even not to make it so specifically about Newt, but when you talk to people of faith, yeah. I think the first uh, roadblock you're going to come against is they're just going to say you're playing God. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you hear this all the time. So how do you how do you yeah. counter that, or how do you yeah. assuage their fears? Yeah, yeah. So first, the first thing is acknowledging. It's like I get that fear. I share that fear. I mean, whether it's playing God or messing with complex systems that we don't fully understand. I mean, this is. This is a hubristic act. We are just one little species in a world of many millions of, of species. Like, who says that we are the ones who get to recreate life? And so I get it. Um, but if you believe that it is okay for humans to apply technology to change our environments, the question isn't should we or shouldn't we, because that's what we do. That's why we're mm -hmm. here. That's what medicine is. That's what agriculture is. I mean, we live in a world that we have transformed through our, 
our technology. The question is, what are the uses of that technology that, we are, that we're comfortable with? And I get that this issue of abortion is very difficult. It's very painful uh, for, for people. And I'm not a proponent of abortion. Mm-hmm. I just feel that a woman should have the right um, within limits to dictate what happens to her own body. I don't think the this, state this basically can enforce slavery on women to force them to carry children on behalf of the, of the state, which is essentially what, what, um, uh, uh, what it would be. But, like, even with the people who are the, 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 um, the quote-unquote pro-life people, in the context of the debates that we just had in, in Alabama, mm-hmm. there were people who were leading that, people in the state senate in Alabama, they very consciously decided to leave IVF out of that legislation. Mm -hmm. So if you believe that life begins at conception, when that sperm fertilizes the egg, that is life and that's inviolable, you would say, well, we should include IVF in this ban. They're not doing it because in every community, when you see these parents, whether they're high-risk parents or older parents or soon just normal parents, who are having children through IVF, it's the miracle of life. And so the, the quote from, from one of the, of the Alabama senators, well, we're not applying, this doesn't apply um, to those fertilized eggs in a dish. We're talking about, about, um, about uh, embryos inside of a woman's body. So that's a real disconnect there. It, you, know, yeah. you could call it a disconnect, but I'm not calling it a disconnect. I'm saying it's a recognition that this stuff is really complicated. Mm-hmm. And if we just say, I have this absolute position, um, and, and I'm just going to stick to it, I think that's going to, like, I want to look for, to say, all right, well, you have recognized that because you are pro-life, you recognize that you want to protect embryos, and we may have political differences, but I respect yours, and you want to, to protect the miracle of life, of these, these people in your communities who are having kids through IVF that they otherwise wouldn't have. And so I just think we have to work towards finding some kind of... Are we ever going to completely agree? No, but no, no, that's not a standard in a democracy. It's not that you have to agree on everything. It's that how do we rebuild a place where we can at least communicate with each other and try to find as much common ground as possible. So there, there's so many ways I could go with this, yeah. and, and I have a zillion sci-fi movies rattling in there my head. Is, yes. I, suddenly I had something about Star Wars in there yeah. related to, to basically a clone army. We'd start mm. having this genetically modified group of humans versus we haven't even got into robotics at all yeah. here, but AI and droids, and yeah. they're, they're going to sort of be rising. But let me, let me hold that one yeah. for, for just a sec. What about the economic portion of this, which right. is that once these technologies become more yeah. ubiquitous and more people can afford them, and then, then, then they're just sort of out there and somewhat right. mainstream, that obviously, like every other technology, like a flat screen television, you know, people that have the means will start right. using them, and that basically we're going to sort of have two paths for humans. There'll be sort of these yeah. superhumans who will be able to deal with all of these things and take advantage right. of these technologies, and then you'll have the regular old suckers like us right now yeah. that can't do it, and yeah. that what, what we're gonna do with that, how yeah, we're gonna yeah. sort of bridge that divide. It's, it's a really essential, uh, essential question. A few different ways of answering it. Um, one is that's one possibility, and if we let that happen, shame on us, because yeah. the technology isn't requiring that outcome, it's the way we have decided to organize ourselves. So in a country like Israel, where IVF is included in the national health plan, you don't have these, these, these uh, equity issues because mm. everybody has access. And if you have a system where you're doing that, it actually would pay for itself because we're going to be able to prevent huge numbers of genetic diseases that are costing us many, many hundreds of billions of dollars. So that's an organizational issue. Now, I always say that if people are worried about genetic inequality in the future, as we should be, um, we can wait until the future comes to say, like, aha, this is what I was preaching. <laughs> or you can look at the world today and say, geez, there's so much inequality today. Average person, kid born in the Central African Republic is born essentially brain damaged because of malnut- maternal malnutrition in the context of the Civil War. And so there's no difference in terms of outcome between a genetically enhanced person and me or my kids 
and my kids and a kid born in the Central African Republic, there's still that same differential. But if we're okay with that today, if we're not living those values today, how can we say, oh, but in the future, we want to live those values when we are the people in the Central African Republic. And then the second point I'll quickly make is we all have these superpowers that once seemed like magic. So we're all in most hopefully immunized, or most of us are, are immunized. Right. Not so much anymore. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's like a superpower. Yeah. And it's a superpower that everybody has, so there's also a cost uh, issue with this. Okay, so let's... So basically, there's a that's the political element yes. to this. That's yeah. just sort of the. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, how do you how do you get politicians to get on board yeah. things that right. are such big ideas that you know politicians when they talk yeah. about anything now we've been dumbed down to the point yeah, where it's yeah. like yeah you're yep. going to mention CRISPR and it's going to make sense. Anybody like how do you actually get yeah. the political elite to be able to deal with this so in an honest way? The, the the honest answer is I don't know. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> trying. And yeah. so here are the, here are the things that at least I'm trying to do. One is I'm trying to help people get educated. And so uh, with this book I've written, it's, it's really at a level that anybody can, can understand. And I want to just bring people into the, in like, once you have basic information, we're all equals because we're all humans and everyone has a say. Um, two, um, where I'm doing a lot of outreach to uh, political leaders. We've offered the uh, copies of the ebook for free to any member of parliament of any country in the whole world. I'm um, talking with actually Brad Sherman, who's a congressman from Los Angeles, mm -hmm. um, and, and others about congressional hearings. Um, in the paperback version of Hacking Darwin, which is coming out in, in April, we're going to have a short political guide in the end with some, some pointers about Love how to, questions to ask for your, polit your, your uh, political leaders. Um, and I'm doing this, this work in, in Geneva. But all of that amounts to nothing in the sense that, that what we need is we need a, an explosion. Like everybody, we need, on a popular level, people need to be seized with issues. Kind of like it's happened with climate change. I mean, climate change 10 years ago was a non-issue. And now, you know, people are, whether it's not using plastic straws or, or marching, or people get that this is an issue. People get that they want to have their voices heard. We need to have that happen. Um, with issues of, uh, of genetics, and that will at least begin to put this on the radar of political leaders. But then we need to educate political leaders. Like, we need to have outreach, and this is, I, I talk about this in, in the book, you know, every movement has to start somewhere. It has to start from this little, little hopeless place where, mm -hmm. like, there's this huge problem, and there's just a few, a few people. But if we need, it's a, it's a political issue, and the, the, issue, the challenge is, 10 years from now, this is going to be the biggest issue in the world. Everyone's going to be talking about it. There are going to be people marching. I think there's a potential of violence because the people who are, you know, if you're worried about genetically modified crops now, how are you going to feel about genetically modified humans? So, but why wait 10 years until this is like an exploding crisis um, to have a conversation about what are the things that we should be doing now? Because big decisions are being made every day. Yeah, so when you talk about genetically modified humans, I'll, I'll go yeah. to one of the sci-fi movies. Did you ever see The Island? I can't believe I'm going to quote a Michael Bay movie. No. Here. But it's, it's, I think it was, maybe it was a Philip K. Dick story. Right. But basically the idea being that these sort of rich elite people could clone themselves. Mm. And so that if, any, if at any point they got into a car accident right. or had a disease, that they basically had all the parts Copy, available. Right. And then, of course, what happens oh. is the clones believe that they're human. And right. then that's what the, right. the debate comes yeah. about. But, but all, that's not that far from what beca could become you know, reality, right? You know as a science fiction writer, and recognize that we live in this world of exponential change where our, our sense of the speed of change is too conservative because we understand it that just because of the way our brains function by looking backwards. Mm -hmm. Whereas change is happening going forwards is going to be a lot, a lot faster. All kinds of crazy things, not everything, but all kinds of crazy things that we can imagine could or, or will become real. And so that's so there are a lot of different scenarios. Certainly, human biology is extremely complex, and so it's going to take us a long time to understand more of this incredible complexity. But our, the this, the complexity of our biology has been roughly consistent for millions of years. But the sophistication of our tools is on a J curve, and mm -hmm. so we are going to be using big data analytics and all of these other incredibly powerful tools to understand ourselves. And we're going to be able to look under the hood of what it means to be human. There will still be this wonderful mystery, yeah. but we're going to know a lot more. We're going to have to figure out how to use that knowledge in ways that doesn't 
undermine our humanity, but makes us individually and collectively better. Uh, that could be the ending, but I, I want to go a little bit more go, here. So, go, go, <laughs> go. So going back to what I mentioned before, this sort of yeah. somewhat silly Star Wars thing, but this idea of clones that we can genetically modify yeah. their conditions and all of these things, and now you have AI growing. Is there sort of a split within the futurist community of what people think is maybe one is more the future than the other or well, something I, like know, that? There are some people who are the, that it's genetically engineered humans and there's some it's okay. going to be AI. And in my very, very strong view, it can't be one or the other. It's, it's humans plus AI. Gary Kasparov writes about this. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is the thing because we are, um, humans are incredible. Our brain is so unbelievably, almost magically sophisticated. All the things that it can do are just so way beyond uh, the, the possibility, even, you know, even uh, of our most advanced AIs. And so we need to find ways that we, we'll work together. The genetics revolution is the AI revolution. There would be no way that without our AI and big data analytics, that we could even begin to, to decode the incredible complexity of our, uh, uh, of our biology. So the, the two really need to work together. And that will be the story of the 21st century, is to figure out well, what, a, what do humans do that machines can't do? And what do machines do that humans can't do or just are better at than yeah. humans? And how do we pull those capabilities together? And then, with these massively powerful capabilities, how do we try to build some guardrails to make sure that our technology is used to advance our best values rather than undermine them? Okay, so we'll end on this. I'll give you the scariest question I yeah. possibly could, which Good. is 20 years from now, yeah. if, if the 98% that you usually focus on, the mm -hmm. good stuff at the talks, right. if that really works, paint me what that future looks like, and then we'll go to the other future. Sure. So that one is we're going to be living longer, we're going to be living healthier, we're going to have all kinds of information about future risks and potentials, and we're going to use that in a positive way to inform our lives. If we have risks uh, down the line, we're going to be working to minimize those risks. We're going to change the way that we make babies. We're going to increasingly move from conception through sex to conception through IVF, followed by embryo screening. Right now in the US, we have about 2% of kids are born through IVF. In Japan, it's 5%. In Norway and Denmark, it's 10%. Those numbers are always going to go up until, until we see procreation by sex as something that is not natural. And, and not then we're normal. also going to be, I, I can't believe I didn't even mention yeah. this this whole time, we're also going to be then growing humans in labs too. You know, that's a debate now, so there, this, this whole movement for artificial wombs. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot that happens emotionally and biologically between a mother and a baby, but certainly it's, it's working for sheep. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, that basically the core point is that biology is at play. We have this sense that oh, we, I know what bi biology is because I'm a human and my parents were humans, um, but a lot of these things are just at play. I mean, we, we were single cell organisms and now we're this and we're going to be something else. And that something else will be in, impacted by our technology, just like you know, our, our digestive system has been guided by fire, like it allows us to digest things that otherwise we couldn't. And so we are, like that is where we're going. And, and just this, this 20 year story, so we're gonna be um, better healthcare, uh, moving away from sex, uh, from uh, conception uh, through sex. And we're going to be, begin selecting future children based on health outcomes and other information about traits. Now give me the 2%. We screw this thing up, what are we looking at? We are um, attacking each other. That, that there's a level of social cohesion that is required for this technology to advance in ways that benefit everybody. I mean, one of the reasons why we're having so many problems here in the United States uh, is that we had this economic change. So we had this change in, in basically um, the role of capital in society. So capital was overvalued and labor was undervalued. We allowed this small group of people to amass just a disproportionately, disproportionate and inappropriate amount of power. And then everybody else, maybe they couldn't articulate all the reasons, they just had this feeling, hey, I'm getting screwed over mm -hmm. and I'm gonna fight back. And so if this te powerful technology, if we don't handle it in a responsible way, we're gonna be at each other's throats. We're gonna have 
elites who were saying, you know, screw this, like my mission in life is to create advantages and confer advantages to, the, to my children. I have more in common with people who are wanting to do that in other countries all around the world than I do with these other people in mm. my country who are just causing, there's a pain in my ass and they're demanding things and they're fighting against things that I, that I want. So I'm just leaving. I mean, my, right. my, So basically they're gonna have to build Elysium or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or just, yeah. or something, or just, you know, you, or you just, you know, take, have an island, do it in the Caribbean or, or whatever. So if we're not careful, um, these technologies could destroy our societies. And that's why, I mean, this is a conversation, it's teed up by science, but it's the core pillar is values. I mean, that's what this is all about. Oh, I would love to continue this. Yes. We, we got to wrap, but as you may know, I go off the grid for August. So we're, okay. ta we're taping this right now at the end of July. Right. And I'm disappearing. No technology, no phone, right. and nothing you, electronic. And you, so you've teed me up for so much I, good stuff to think about while I'm I gone. Think, wait, and where are you going? I hope you did. I'm not telling okay, people, good, but yeah. I'm, dis I'm disappearing and there will be good. nothing electronic. And, and it's, it's so important because we're talking about this, this technology. And technology, it does so many wonderful things. But at the core, if we lose the essence of what it just means to be a human, that's just it, out in the mountains, it's like that's everything. Yeah, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I, I hope you'll I, come back to do, I would to get you it. back in the prediction game. I, I would love it. As a matter of fact, I'll come back in my, the paperback version of Hacking Darwin is coming yeah. out in April of next year. And so I'd love to come back when that happens. Done and done. All right, thank you very much. And for more on Jamie, you can follow him on Twitter, at Jamie Metzl. And if you enjoy conversations like these, don't forget to subscribe and click the bell so that you actually get notified of the videos. Thanks for watching.